Hello, beloved Filled With Messages listeners. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you don't know me, my name is Ruth Farrell, and I'm the lead pastor of St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich. When I was a tween, I loved horses. I took, uh, we'll call them riding lessons, from a member of my family's church who just happened to own a few horses. I loved movies about horses. Maybe you've seen The Man from Snowy River or Return to Snowy River. Seriously, some of the best movies of all times, at least according to my 11-year-old self. I'll admit I haven't seen them in about three decades, so maybe don't hold me to that assessment. More than riding and movie watching, I read novels featuring the uh, horses and horseback riding. Of course, I read one of the classic horse novels, Misty of Chincoteague. It's the based on real life story of a horse that was in the hold of a ship when it wrecked just off the Virginia coast. Misty and other horses made it out of the ship and swam to two nearby islands, Chincoteague and our national park of the day, Assateague. To this day, there are horses descended from those who survived the shipwreck living on Assateague. There are no longer wild horses on Chincoteague. Technically, these beings are feral, not wild, as they are the descendants of domesticated animals who now live in a wild state. Although they are technically horses, they are more similar in size to ponies because of their salty diet of seagrasses. The negative review highlighted in Subpar Parks reads, Horse Poop on the Beach. Not sure why you'd be surprised or upset to find horse poop on Assateague. Those ponies can be pretty hard to find, but some people just can't be pleased. Today's scripture text features, features horses, ships, and saltwater, and we are reminded about the power of our words and urge to work on controlling our tongues. Hear these words from James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humans, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this what should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our whole beings to receive your words for us now your words of wisdom and grace and direction for our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. James is rather pessimistic about human nature as he begins this section of his letter. We all stumble in many ways, he writes. It's the truth. On a daily basis, we all make mistakes, some of them intentional, others unintentional. Our stumbles might not trend on Twitter, 
or is it threads now? But sometimes we make choices that aren't right or are not the best. Perhaps we prioritize the wrong things. Maybe we buy stuff we don't need. Possibly we don't take time to rest. All of us use our words carelessly at moments. Humans are not perfect. If we're not perfect and we're not going to achieve perfection this side of death, should we even bother to try? I think most humans, even those with no religious proclivities, would likely say, yeah, we should at least try. Perhaps our definitions of what it means to do the right thing would be different. Almost certainly what drives us to make good choices would have some variation. But it seems that most people want to be good people, to make a positive impact in their world, if nothing else, to do no harm. While James isn't at all optimistic about our ability to control ourselves all the time or make good choices consistently, he seems to agree that we ought to make a good effort at it. To help us do so, he focuses in on the part of us he thinks tends to cause the most harm to ourselves and others and our relationship with God, our tongues. Our tongues are relatively small in comparison to our whole body, yet they have incredible power for both harm and good. To show just how powerful our tongues are, James compares them to several other small things that can have a big impact. Firstly, James talks about bits, bits being the metal bars put into horses' mouths attached to a bridle, which enables the rider to steer the horse where they want to go. Bits are sized to the horse, but most are about five to six inches long. In other words, tiny in comparison to the size of the horse. Yet these tiny bits of metal, which push against the horse's tongue and mouth, can direct the entire animal. Ships are even bigger than horses, James writes. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. When I was 13, I spent the summer on a canal boat in England and Wales. On very rare occasions, I was allowed to captain the boat, I was always in awe of how little one had to move the tiller, which seemed to my teen self to basically just be a small stick, to get the boat to change course. I always had to be so careful not to overcorrect. Something so small was able to steer something comparably so big. Because James wants to underscore just how powerful our words are, he offers a third metaphor to help us pay attention to his point. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I suspect James is employing a bit of hyperbole here, but in doing so, his point is made clear. Our tongues have incredible power. They have the ability to affect the whole person, be it our own whole person or the whole person of somebody else or the whole body of Christ, the church. This relatively small part of our anatomy has incredible power for harm. Of course, James doesn't literally mean our physical tongues have the power to harm, although I suppose that could be true. He means our words. Certainly, he is talking about the words that come out of our mouths, But we all also have our own inner dialogues, and those internal conversations we have with ourselves often influence not only the words that come out of our mouths, but our actions and attitudes too. I know someone who likes to do impressions. I realized one day that this person only does impressions of people they don't like, people of races not their own, those who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, and more. 
Then I heard this person's child speaking with disdain about those their parent had been quote unquote imitating. The little bit of quote unquote fun the grown up thought they were having with their words was making a significant impact on their child and revealing their internal world. After employing all these metaphors, James seems to throw up his hands in despair, again noting all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humans, but no human being can take the tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Obviously, our tongues aren't exclusively filled with deadly poison. Many of us also use our tongues to build one another up, to encourage each other, We use our tongues to praise God, to remark about the beauty of God's creation. We use our tongues to sing, to laugh, to pray. In addition to wielding so much power for harm, our tongues have the power to do such good, to bring so much of Christ's light and healing into the pain and suffering of our world. It's this double-mindedness, the ability to do harm and good, that gives James the most pause. With a tongue, we praise our Lord and Savior, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My siblings, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James wants our words to match the faith we profess on Sunday mornings. If we praise God, then we need to learn to praise humans too, because humans are made in God's likeness. If we sing hymns and pray on Sundays, but the rest of the week our mouths and minds are filled with hatred for those who disagree with us, mocking of those who are different races than we are, undercutting of women and trans folks, shame for those who do not believe the same things we do, then we are not doing what is right. Our tongues are full of deadly poison. This is not just to say, why can't everybody get along? I'm not that naive. But how we talk about and think about those with whom we disagree is vital to our relationship with God, our faith, and our commitment as Christians to bringing God's kingdom here to earth as it already is in heaven. There are ways of disagreeing with kindness and grace. We don't always have to share our opinions or points of view. Sometimes our moms were right when they taught us, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Note clearly that James is calling out Christians on our tongues. James isn't admonishing society in general. He is telling Christians they have to step up. They have to weed out whatever causes them to use their tongues to do harm. We have a tendency to think it's not us, it's them. James is very clear. It's us. Those of us who follow Jesus use our tongues to harm just like everyone else does. But we should not do so because we believe that each and every human is God's beloved child made in God's very image and therefore deserving of great gentleness and care. In the immortal words of Ice Cube, check yourself before you wreck yourself or anybody else. We have to figure out how to put a bit in our mouths so that our hearts and minds, so that our faith, so that God can steer us away from using our tongues to harm. Put another way, slow down. Earlier in his letter, James wrote, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. 
Practice counting to 10 before responding, especially if you feel your blood pressure going up through the conversation. Learn to discern when a person's actions are inappropriate and when you're judging a person for who they are or what they wear or with whom they associate. When a person is making choices that are hurting others, it's okay to note that. In fact, it's wise to note that and heed it so you don't get hurt by them and so that you can help keep others safe from them. But when we judge someone's character and make judgment about their person, saying that they're a good or bad person, that's when we can begin to forget to see the image of God in others. Fact check yourself. Do you really know this person or are you making assumptions about them? This is particularly important in our world today. For example, we think we know famous people, but we really don't. Their image is carefully crafted by a team of people. We only know the version of them their publicist wants us to know. And it's not just famous people. Because of social media, we all carefully craft our own image of ourselves. And that causes us to make so many assumptions about others, judge them for it, and then use our tongues or our fingers if we're online to spread our judgment. Remember what it feels like when someone else's tongue has hurt you. Doing so builds empathy. Empathy helps us to connect with and have compassion for others. When we feel compassionate empathy, we will be less likely to hurt the other. I hope you'll take some time after listening to this to think about what practical steps you are going to take this week to gain a little more control over your tongue. May the Holy Spirit guide you and God bless you as you do. Take good care, my friends.